Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with the Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Burkelhammer. And with me tonight, we have Remy from Bahama Lama Coral. Remy, man, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I, I was honored when you asked. <laughs> no, listen, I'm a big fan of yours in, in terms of what you're doing on YouTube and Instagram. So, um, you know, I think we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. I want to just welcome everybody that's uh, that's tuning in so far. I see Algae Warrior, John Reef of Vermont, Reef the Sea Forever, Star City Reef. Uh, who else we got? Great Bearded Reef. It's up there, Paul. Um, yeah. So Colin Garvey, Colin Garvey, maybe. That, I'm, I'm sorry there, Colin, if I mispronounce you. Hey, Greg, what's mm -hmm. up, man? Thanks for tuning in, everybody. So... You know, as we usually do, we have a conversation between myself and, and, and the guest, but I completely encourage comments and questions in the, uh, in the live chat. It just uh, makes it a little bit more interactive and, and uh, immersive. So certainly get involved in the conversation here. Hey, Brian, what's up? I'm saying hey there, uh, Remy. So, what up, Brian? So you got some uh, you got some peeps there, I think, that are following you from your uh, channel, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I say a lot of familiar, uh, I say faces, but uh, a lot of familiar screen names that comment on the videos. So uh, thank you guys all for for showing up tonight. I think we're gonna have a lot of fun. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, Remy, I always um, you know kind of start off the show by asking my guests how they got into the hobby. So let's uh, let's kick it off there in terms of how you got started in reef keeping. How how many of your guests also say freshwater to start? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I st I I have always been fascinated by animal. Yeah, right. I've always been fascinated by animals and by uh, keeping animals in the house. I remember setting up an elaborate squirrel trap, which. Uh, that uh, was devised of throwing a rope over our, we had a giant willow tree at my parents' house when I was growing up and I threw a giant rope over, tied a basket to the end of the rope and the end of the rope went into, the other end went into the bathroom where I sat there waiting for a squirrel. Uh, so I, I've always like, I've always loved animals. I've had leopard geckos, cockatiels, I've had parakeets. My room in high school and junior high was a veritable zoo. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was weird whenever you'd have friends over and they're just like nonstop noise from the birds and stuff. But yeah, I started in freshwater, um, cichlids really, uh, w w were fascinating to me because I feel like aside from discus, it's probably one of the more colorful, uh, fishes that you can get into when you're in freshwater. And little did I know that seven or eight dollars for a fish was going to be cheap in comparison mm. to the saltwater Hell hobby. Yeah. <laughs> That's a <laughs> when drop I hear in the bucket. Yeah, when I hear freshwater people say, I, you know, I dropped twenty dollars on a fish. I'm like, okay. Uh, that's about the average price of like a, a clownfish or something like that. But um, yeah, so I started in junior high, high school keeping animals, and I think it was college, I switched over to saltwater, fish only tanks, just had the, some pretty basic fish. Um, and then it wasn't until about six years ago where, you know, I finally got a job that would allow me to venture into the world of reef keeping. And I just, I've never looked back. It's just been pretty awesome. The community is awesome. I love sharing my experience with everyone, uh, on the YouTube channel. And, you know, I think, I think my, my entry into reef keeping is probably pretty typical for most people. You know, you kind of like 
gradually go up. I don't know if there's a lot of people that just go right into reef keeping right off the bat. You know, you're usually trickling in via some other area in, uh, in aquatics. So that's my story. Yeah. I, um, my addiction started with a two gallon freshwater tank that, um, housed a Siamese, um, fighting fish. And, and the reason why that happened is I had always been exposed to fish tanks when I was growing up. My father had fish only, um, you know, saltwater tanks. So, you know, like I think there were 125 gallon tanks is what he kept. And I always used to tag along to uh, local fish stores with him. So I, I sort of had that kind of like uh, in me. But um, when I uh, started working in New York City, my wife and I were living in an apartment. And we went, I don't know if this was before we got married. I guess this was before we got married while we were like dating maybe. And we went to what was called the um, San Gennaro Festival. It's a big famous um, street festival, fair, what have you, down in um, Little Italy in Manhattan. So they have these games where you can, um, you know, pay five bucks or whatever like that and, and uh, throw darts at a target. Or So they had this one game with a whole bunch of fish bowls with goldfish. I guess, I guess it was a goldfish that I had. And uh, these little fish bowls with goldfish. And I mean, you throw a ping pong ball at all the, like, 100 goldfish bowls. And if your ping pong ball ends up in one of these goldfish bowls, you win the fish. Well, I won the fish. So <laughs> I... I went the next morning. I went out and I got a little two-gallon tank to uh, to house this goldfish. Maybe I got a Siamese fighting fish later. I, I don't. Maybe, I, the goldfish I don't think lasted too long. But then for me, it graduated to like a 29-gallon freshwater um, planted tank, then a reef tank. So yeah, I think I think that is a normal progression in terms of fresh to to salt. Yeah, I feel like now that you mention it. My first first fish was definitely from the fair, and it was definitely from that game, you know, where you're throwing and you're you're uh, you're paying sixteen dollars for a nine cent feeder fish or whatever that they've got in those games, uh, and I named him Radish, and he died because I was about seven, six or seven years old, and I wanted to hug it, and that just, it just that's not advisable. Didn't work right? out. Not advisable. <laughs> <laughs> so so Remy, um, talk about. You know, you you mentioned the YouTube channel, and um, you know it's a it's a very popular channel. You've got about twelve thousand YouTube subscribers on there, and I think on Instagram you're like around five thousand or uh, north of uh, five thousand followers on Instagram. So you got a really good following, but you kind of have experience, right, in terms of this communication stuff. Yeah, a little bit. I I, I cheated just a, a a tiny tiny little smidge in that. Uh, I was just thinking about this. I I feel like I almost live in two different worlds. Like I have this radio career that I've, you know, I've been in radio for 20 years or so. If you include the, uh, the late nights at the college radio station where I was, you know, broadcasting to nobody. <laughs> um, if you include those, yeah, about 20 years in radio. So kind of progressed up my way in the radio world. You know, we, uh, my partner and I to St. Louis back in 2010 and we got promoted to start a station up in Chicago. So we went up there for three years. And then the company that we worked for, as uh, we're seeing right now a lot, especially in the radio industry and broadcast in general, but a lot of people can't keep up with the no advertising thing with COVID and all that. So uh, they ended up going bankrupt and like letting go 90% of the staff. So we ended up back in St. Louis, which is kind of a blessing because... I don't know if anybody from Chicago is watching that works downtown in Chicago, but it was $315 a month to park 
at my job. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> very, very, uh, I'm very thankful for my free spot every day at my job now. But uh, yeah, we're we're super happy in St. Louis. But I've got that job, and so being in front of people or you know talking to people, live streaming like this, being live, uh, hasn't really ever bothered me too much. So I've got a one up on that. And then right out of college, I worked at state farm in creative services. So we were basically like an in-house advertising agency for the company. So we traveled all over the country and shot the most boring videos in the world with (laughs) state farm agents. And every once in a while we get a cool one. So I think it was like 2000, I think it was like 2009 when the all-star game was in New York city and state farm sponsored the home run derby. Mm. And so we got to go and like be on times square and Cal Ripken jr. Was like giving a, a lesson to these kids on a batting cage that they had set up on times square. And like David Ortiz is walking around and as a former baseball player myself, like, wow, like seeing these legends just like walking around, like no big deal. Uh, so that was kind of cool. But through that job, I gained a lot of experience with video and photography and learning from some really, really, really uh, talented people that, you know, had worked in Hollywood or worked in Chicago or New York or whatever and just wanted to settle down in central Illinois and still do what they loved. But, you know, also have some security because as many people know, Hollywood and, you know, production and that kind of thing, it's it's volatile, you know, especially last year. I mean, you saw that. I mean, last year was a prime example of how volatile it can be. And um, so did that for a little bit. And uh, yeah, I think all of that kind of lends itself into uh, some of the skills that I use for the YouTube channel, you know, on a weekly basis now, having the camera knowledge, having the lighting knowledge, you know, that kind of stuff. It pushes me a little bit ahead. So I kind of have an edge that way. but I think as far as the YouTube channel goes from an experience thing, it's just great to be in the community and just putting it out there for everybody. Like, like Keith, you've been in this forever. Like, you're an OG. You've been here forever. I'm very new in comparison to that, but still, you're talking, have an you're talking about the hobby, not on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hobby. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got so much experience in this, but, you know, here, here we are, you and I talking. Uh, as as a, in a sense of community, and I th- that's what I love so much about it is, you know, I, at the end of the day, my mission for the YouTube channel, and I'm not sure if a lot of people have this, is just to empower hobbyists to try new things. Like, there's so many different facets of this, uh, of reef keeping. There's, you know, the macro algae tank. There's breeding clownfish. There's culturing rotifers there's all these things that i like doing a, i've vended i've been vending at frag swaps here locally like all very stressful stuff to start but once you've got that down like now you can move on and try something else see yeah. see what else you like about this hobby because there's just so much to explore so i don't know if that answers your question but uh <laughs> it did and then some <laughs> so greg greg carroll is asking uh he's got to know did you uh, know jake from state state farm that campaign started like after <laughs> after I was gone, and unfortunately, Greg, we uh, we got all the the crappy jobs. Like it was so like I, I think this is probably like this in every corp- corporate atmosphere where like you have your in house staff that does stuff, but then they hired out advertising agencies in Chicago and New York to do all the cool stuff, like all the like the Jake from State Farm stuff or all the funny commercials that needed like real actors. Uh, we basically were we were I would. 
I would uh, parallel us to like a documentary kind of feel like we would tell stories that were, you know, shown internally. Every once in a while, I'll get a message from someone that just starts at State Farm that knows me because I'm on a lot of the training videos still. Mm. I'm the bad guy. I'm like the, the <laughs> guy that's breaking all the HR rules. That that was more of my job. Is that how you, to got, do it. you got cast by, as the bad guy, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we got to do it with like $100,000 cameras, so it was still fun. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, you, you and I have some some more things in common. You, you mentioned that um, you kind of started the college radio station. That's That's how I started my communications career in, in college radio. I um, produced a, a sports show that we broadcast every Sunday uh, evening on the radio. I think sometimes I was um, on the uh, the sports show hosting, but uh, typically I was behind the scenes. And, and then I spent 26 years in the advertising business. So, you know, I know what you're talking about. I, I, um, I worked on the ad agency side. Then I worked for CNN and Turner Broadcasting for about 21 years, and I, I was working on on the advertising um, research side of the uh, the fence. So I, I had no experience whatsoever in terms of video production when I started doing this YouTube channel. So I just really came out cold turkey and just, you know, again watched some of the content creators in this community to to see what was being put out there, and and my focus on the channel was to try to. Um, really relate my experiences uh, as I was kind of making this journey through the hobby. You know, obviously I had a lot of uh, years of experience, so I was trying to, to focus on that. But uh, yeah, also to just kind of uh, chronicle the, um, the 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 daily life of a reef keeper. And I think your channel, you do a great job, man. I really enjoy your content. It, it's really um, it's it's easy to understand. It's uh, it's entertaining, but I think it's also informative, which is great. Likewise. Yeah. I think, uh, getting into YouTube on the reefing side, you kind of do your research, like you said, and, and you had, you had come up several times and I was like, okay, this guy's video production's pretty good. I like it. I like it. It's easy to follow, like you yeah. said, and it's, it's pleasing to the eye. Uh, and, and I think, you know, as I'm doing this, this, uh, clownfish breeding, uh, I'm going down this path and Hey, if you guys would like, you know, spawn, that'd be great. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you can't, you can't rush this. You can't. Um, but, uh, how long have you been trying? Uh, well, it, it's funny because I was just, I was doing some maintenance in the tank probably two months ago now. And I noticed that they had spawned on one of the frag plugs and I pulled it out and I was like, uh, what's this? Some kind of sponge or something? No, it was just a <laughs> bunch of eggs. And I put it back in and they immediately like, just like protected it. Um, and so I was like, oh, man, they're spawning. This, ha this happens every two weeks, right now? Yeah, okay, no. Uh, <laughs> I, int I introduced this clay pot, and I think they've just been, like, adjusting again. So, Like, what the hell is um, that? Yeah, yeah. So I've in, in, in going back to, like, video production, it, there is a lot of videos on YouTube about spawning clon or, like, cl having clownfish breed. But it's so hard to follow a lot of these videos, and I think that my job or what I would like to do is distill it down as much as I possibly can for someone that is interested in doing something like that, but giving them a more basic roadmap, a recipe, if you will, to doing that. Because just getting into it, I mean, I had looked into it before. I know you had to have like you know, live rotifers and things like that ready to go and green water and all this stuff, but it's overwhelming. And I think when your clownfish start to breed, the first thing you want to do as a hobbyist, I think most of us is like want to raise you. Like I want to, yeah. 
I want to bring you up because this is cool, right? So that's kind of my goal is to to distill the information as much as I can for people and not necessarily to be a how-to video because that can get a little dicey when you say how-to because there's 500 how-tos yeah. for the same thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. then you, you know, your comment section blows up with, well, did you try this? Did you try this? You're not doing this. Did you try this? That, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I usually say instead of how to, how I, <laughs> and that seems to, that seems to calm the waters a little bit. So a couple of comments here, Scotty Damron, Remy has given me the courage to want to make YouTube videos. So hopefully soon I'll make my mark. Thanks to Remy. And, um, Great Bearded Reef is uh, saying that my clown just spawned on top of a large mushroom and Blue Hornet Rock. Going to be a grandfather, laugh out loud. <laughs> I tell you, I had, I had a, uh, a bizarre experience with, with the clownfish in my 187-gallon tank. They, um, they were not a bonded pair. I Actually, I had a pair and I lost a, uh, one of them. So I added a, um, a new one. And, and they didn't really bond whatsoever. I mean, they were essentially sleeping in different corners of the tank. Over the years, I've always had clownfish host like LPS, like a leather coral or a hammer yeah. coral or a torch or something. And these clownfish did not want to host anything. And I got a decent amount of LPS in the tank, and they just did not want to host anything. So eventually, one of them did actually start hosting one of my alveopora, which is really cool. But the other one was like, yeah, well, I'm just going to kind of stick to the corner of the tank. <laughs> but um one day you know after about a year i look into uh you know into the tank and they're both hanging out in one of the bottom corners of the tank and they're protecting a clutch of eggs i'm like holy mackerel these things are breeding you got to be kidding me and uh eventually i guess they started liking one another and and uh, hanging out so you never know yeah that's cool that's another part of the the hobby i just love it's just it's it's different every day there's something new. There's something that changes in your tank every day. And I love that. Reef the sea for my clowns host an SPS. Wow. I've never heard of that. That's pretty, uh, that's like pretty a good. furry, like Millie or something like that. Yeah, Maybe. So, <laughs> so dude, what's, uh, what's up with the name Bahama Llama Coral? What's, what's the uh, history behind that? It's funny. I wish there was like an awesome story behind it, but there really isn't. So, uh, <laughs> The whole idea of me sharing anything about my tank just came from the fact that I have like my own personal Instagram account. And every once in a while, I would post, you know, oh, I got this cool, these zoanthids or, you know, this cool mushroom. And, you know, you get a couple hundred likes on a, on a photo of your kids, but then you put a coral on there. It's like 25 people like this. So I was like, OK, I need to I need to move this elsewhere. It needs to go somewhere <laughs> where it can, you know have a community surrounding it or whatever. So we were at Disney World in, I think it was like, I don't know when when the Instagram channel started. I think it was like maybe eight, 17 or 18. And, you know, the endless lines that you're waiting in at Disney for any ride. And I just started like playing with names and alliteration and rhyming and all that kind of thing. And I think uh, one of them was uh, Pure Polyps. <laughs> And I was like, that sounds like a colonoscopy, like <laughs> Instagram. Uh, it was going to be mainly zoanthids. But then I was like, Bahama Llama, Bahama Llama. I know that there's like a Bahama Llama t-shirt line or some sort of like soccer mom line. I don't know. Uh, but there's no Bahama Llama coral. And I just felt like the juxtaposition of a land mammal and the sea 
is just kind of this cool fascination because we are all land mammals who are fascinated with the sea. It goes a little bit deeper than you might think, but uh, um, yeah, it's and, and had Comiquarium. Everybody always asks me who designed the original llama logo, and there's a guy, and I think he's in Indonesia or uh, the Philippines. I forget where he's at, but uh, he agreed to do a logo for me, and that's where the llama was born. And I was like, this thing might be the cutest llama of all time. <laughs> uh, and I was so excited about it. And uh, yeah, it's been through a couple iterations now. And uh, Super Llama just came out. I don't know if you saw that. But, I did. Uh, <laughs> I, want, I want one of those stickers. He is I, here I, to I, save. He will save your reef tank. <laughs> got a, so, so the llama's got a cape now. Yes, yes. So uh, Lazy Mondays, who's a, uh, a graphic designer, who's also in, a part of the reefing community, uh, has designed a lot of reef, reefers logos, came up with that. And I thought it was great. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of where the name stemmed from uh, Disney World line when my mind was free and, you know, in the happiest place on Earth. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just kind of let, get, get, let the uh, the thoughts start flowing somehow. So Greg uh, Carroll is saying, hey, everybody hit that like button. More people will see this. Yeah, yeah, let's uh, encourage hitting that like button. No, I'm going to go like it. Yeah. Okay. Just like that. Please like it, everybody that's watching right now. Um, so in, in terms of the uh, the channel, you know, you put out a lot of videos. What, um, and I, I know the answer to this for myself, but what video have you put out has gotten the biggest blowback, like, the most negative response or have you gotten a, um, a video that's just really kind of, you know, been a dud, a thud. Yeah. I think, uh, it, it, it's weird because, um, and I'm not yes, asking there... you to like point out your shittiest work here, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think it, it just, it, it's an early video. It is, I think it is, um, not sure of the title. You could probably, if you just search $900 Zoanthids. Um, I had won a raffle from Golden Basket. I won, like, randomly, never win raffles ever in my lifetime. Won some little shop of horror Zoanthids, and they are just some of my favorite Zoanthids of all time. Uh, they're green and purple and red and yellow. There's just so many great colors in them. And I was like, I'm going to do an unboxing. This is early on in the YouTube channel. And I think it, and it did really well. It actually, it actually, from, from a view standpoint, did really well because I think it was the title. Well, when you start putting dollar figures on Coral and names on Coral and all of that stuff, there's a lot of people that don't necessarily like that. And so that's probably my most disliked video while having a lot of views, if that makes sense. So... That's kind of like, I would say it wasn't a dud necessarily, but it was, it got a bunch of, I would say, blowback from the community. Probably the most, the most trolls showed up on that video. <laughs> I did a, um, I did a video about the, um, the dangers of using a do it yourself algae reactor, you know, and, and, uh, full disclosure, I, um, you know, I sell Pax Bellum arid algae reactors and, and, um, you know, so one of the, uh, the videos I put out, I, I did a video about how, it can be dangerous to use a do-it-yourself algae reactor if you're wrapping an LD, LED strip light around an acrylic container. You know, and, and I thought, you know, and I still believe it's dangerous when you're playing with electricity like that. But there were some hardcore do-it-yourselfers out there that I guess had made their uh, algae reactors that um, did not like that video. 
and uh, I got some serious blowback on that video. But uh, you know, hey, it's um, it's it's a uh, you know you're putting out information, and not everybody is going to agree with you, and it's tough. I mean, sometimes even on on popular videos, uh, you know, there are some pretty harsh criticisms. So as a as a content creator, you got to be able to kind of take the um, the criticism, and I always try to respond in a fair and honest way to any criticism but you know it can get a little gnarly sometimes yeah yeah i just uh I, the i i you know i truly wish that we could all be constructive and just you know the the criticism or whatever is for positive and it's text so that you can't always get it's hard to get toned through text a lot of times so maybe someone's trying to help out but it just looks like that you're taking it you know taking offense to it or whatever um but i'm almost afraid of, and I'm sure that a couple of your videos have have gone, I don't know, quote, viral or whatever. You've had more views on them more than any other. I'm almost afraid of that happening because when the algorithm takes your video out to the mainstream, you end up with all these people that are outside of the community that may just troll the troll. Um, so that's kind of what I like about having just a condensed, you know, uh, population of reefers and hobbyists is that we can actually have a good conversation in the comment section and help solve problems and things like that. So yep. I'm a little afraid of that happening, but you never know. You never know what the algorithm is going to pick up this week. You don't know if it picked up some search term that everybody's searching this week. I I, I think there was a guy, I forget what the uh, I forget what the channel is, but this guy is a is a mechanic and his whole channel is about um, is about just what you do in an auto shop. And he has a reef tank in his auto shop, and he did a t he did a video on it one day, and it had like six hundred thousand views Whoa. in forty eight hours. And so now he's doing nothing but reef tank <laughs> videos, and it's just it's very funny uh, how people will uh, skew their content to what the numbers say. You know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you my uh, my most popular video. One of, one of my most popular videos was a do it yourself video in terms of how to remove glued PVC um, pipe from a fitting. So, and, and I did a, um, a video using a, um, a propane torch in terms of heating up a, um, a hole saw that I stuck into the PVC pipe that melted it and allowed you to pull a piece that, you know, essentially I screwed up and glued a piece of um, pipe into a uh, bulkhead or whatever it was, a, um, um, a, a valve. And, it, you know, it, it slides right out. So that was like one of my most popular um, videos. And, and, and for, for you, what uh, would you say has been, you know, some of your more popular videos? Well, for going on like search terms and stuff, I feel like the most popular videos, for whatever reason, for me, are anything that has to do with zoanthids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fra like fragging zoanthids or um, uh, zoanthid garden is probably another one that's super uh, been super popular. I'm I'm going to my my actual uh, page right now to see. Um, my most popular video is yeah high end zoa garden. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then uh and my buddy Ben who lives here in St Louis uh I had a reef tank tour that he did. Uh, that I did with him where he had lit this 120 gallon with hundred dollar lights he found on Amazon. Oh, right. I saw that video. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of my more popular videos. Uh, he's up there a couple times with a hundred percent euphilia tank tour. Um, you know, I don't really have, I, my highest 
videos, 34,000. I wouldn't consider that like crazy, crazy popular. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's that's pretty, you know, I think pretty it's darn good. Yeah, it's like it, it really is. It boils down to, you know, what people what are people most interested in? A lot of like the selling coral for the first time at a frag swap that was up there. Um, you know, what, what, what can people relate to or what what can what do people want to do in their reef that you can help them through? Or, you know, what is that tactic or whatever that you use for fragging zoanthids? I mean, zoanthids are in the in the spotlight right now as there was a reefer that, you know, we lost, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now in Texas from palytoxin poisoning. There's a lot of questions around whether or not that was actually the cause. But I think a lot of people are, are really nervous about touching anything zoanthid or, or pallies because of that. Yeah. Um, because they've heard of the horror stories, but, um, you got to think about the, uh, millions of times these things have been touched and, and poked and cut. And there's, you know, one person that potentially died from that a couple weeks ago. So it doesn't happen very often. And I always preach in my videos, I uh, wear protective eyewear mm. and gloves and just cover yourself. Like, don't take any risks. Those things sometimes when you're cutting them will will eject mm. uh, water. Uh, and who knows if that has it in there or not. There's just not. A, I wish there was more research done on that. And maybe I can dig and, and try and get to the bottom of that with some actual like marine researchers, because I think it'd be interesting to know, are there some that actually do carry that and some that don't? Do the smaller ones have as much of a risk as the larger ones? I feel like it's a big unknown in the hobby, and I think that that would really, uh, I feel like people really get educated about that for sure. Yeah, you know, I had um, Sanjay uh, Yoshi on the show, I think it was last November, and he was telling a story. I don't, I don't know if it was the uh, the zoanthids or the, the pellies that, that um, were in his tank. Maybe they were in his tank, and he, and he gave them to a friend who essentially these uh, these um, zoanthids on a rock ended up in, in the guy's backyard and oh. outside, right, for a long time. And then um, they whoever uh, had that rock, that rock was brought back in and put into the uh, into a reef tank. And there were still toxins from those um, paleys on that rock. It's just amazing. I, you know, I, I might be getting parts of this story wrong but it just speaks to the um i guess toxic toxicity i can't even say that word how toxic <laughs> those things potentially are yeah you know um all right so before we uh, switch gears here and and uh we want to talk about your uh, your layer that's another thing we have in common we we both have uh, <laughs> layers in our basements but um yes. so aaron um Methvin is a slash member checking in. Remy, did you get in contact with Kathy for guidance on the clown breeding? Uh, Aaron is a, so slash is our, is our uh, reef club here in St. Louis. Uh, and I did get in touch with Kathy and she is actually, and Keith, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kathy. She's given a couple talks at like Macna. Uh, she was the first breeder to successfully raise, um, Centropige uh, is uh, Coral Beauties in the lower 48. Oh. So that's her claim to fame. And uh, she's right here in St. Louis. So it, it's it, it's been tricky kind of like trying to coordinate schedules with her. But she is just a wealth of knowledge uh, and, and kind of a prize to have right here in St. Louis. So I'm hoping to do a video with her down the road. But uh, she's got all of these crazy hacks 
and how you can like culture rotifers out of like solo cups and uh, you know, making sieves out of uh, plastic cups and bowls and things. She just she does everything on a budget, and it's really cool because that makes it accessible for for almost anybody to to culture Fido and rotifers and uh, different kinds of live feeds. So great bearded reef is uh, saying also this book by Joyce D. Wilkerson, Clownfish is a guide to their captive care, breeding, and natural history. Another potential uh, resource there. Yeah, let's check that out. Uh, going back to the Paley's, uh, reef girl, Cindy is saying, I got sick from brushing dead Paley's with a wire brush from a rock that had been sitting in the garage for a couple of months. Pretty unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Uh, reef girl, do you know what, uh, can you tell us what kind of, uh, Paley's those were? Were they like the green ones or the purple ones, you know, the big fat heads on them or were they smaller? Uh, I'm just curious because I feel like. They're, I think they're considered the proto pallies. They're very, they're larger heads. They're not the grand, the the grandest or the grandest. Uh, but they're like in between a zoa and a grandest. I'm just wondering if that's what they were because they grow fast, and then you you try and get rid of them or you move them or whatever, and that's when people start to have problems. I think. Yeah, I mean, in in terms of, I guess. Paleys seem to be more toxic than zoas, or does it depend on the uh, on the zoanthid in terms of how toxic it can be? Do you have any idea? That's the yeah. no. That I think that's the big question. Uh, I mean, if someone is watching and they know the answer to that, I I've been in the hobby for six or seven years. I still don't know, and uh, local fish stores don't know and can't tell you, and even forums, you know, who knows? So I'd love to get to the bottom of that for sure. Uh, just to remind everybody once again to uh, hit that like button. We're we're getting more and more people tuning in here, so if you haven't already, hit that like button. So uh, Remy, um, you did a video for us about the um, about the uh, the layer behind you there. So I'm gonna start um, I'm gonna start running that video, and it's gonna probably take 20 to 25 seconds to catch up in terms of what you're gonna be seeing and everybody else is gonna be seeing on on YouTube. So. Why don't you go ahead and kind of describe to everybody that doesn't already know what you got in your basement? Yeah, so I have, it, it really started off with my one frag tank that I moved from Chicago when we first moved back to St. Louis. I set it up in a hurry. It needs to be redone. The sump is a detritus trap. It just, it, I need to start over on that tank at some point, but just everything's doing so well in it now that I kind of don't want to. So I've got a frag tank. I have a 25-gallon lagoon um, that is an innovative marine lagoon all in one. And that's a great, like the dimensions are fantastic. I think it's like 22 long, 12 high, and maybe 20 or 22 deep. Uh, just a really fun tank. I love the lagoon-style tanks. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know why I like the shallow tanks more than, you know, your deeper set tanks. Uh, but the lagoon had been going strong for a long time. I had to deal with dinos for a little bit. I had been dosing vibrant and <laughs> that went wrong because I wasn't watching my nitrates and my phosphates and I lost a couple things here and there, but, uh, was able to move some things out of the lagoon and into my frag tank. I think the, and then I have a Pico tank, which is a two and a half gallon tank. Uh, that's just macro heavy. Uh, that is the home of my. My pom-pom crab, which is one of the coolest little creatures. <laughs> and then uh, it, there's also a peppermint shrimp in there 
and the rest is macros, and then I have a suspicularia as the only coral in it. Uh, but that that's been going pretty strong too for a while. And I think the claim to fame for me is probably the weeping willow uh, leather, which just is probably the most captivating coral for being the pinkish brownish flesh colored you know <laughs> it's a leather yeah. you know what i mean but for whatever reason it's just so mesmerizing and watching the clownfish go in and out of those uh polyp stalks is just amazing and then uh i also created a frag tank extension which i built last year for the frag swap so essentially what that does is allows me to separate all the coral that i want to bring to the local frag swap in advance and put it in this frag tank extension that's plumbed into my frag tank. It's the same water, everything. And then the night of the frag swap or, you know, the frag swap prep, I can just, you know, pull out each one of those racks and boom, we're off. We're, we're, uh, we're off and running. So a lot of this is going to change over the next year. I would say I really want to redesign it. I really want to make it look more clean. I don't know if you, uh, you know, can see my cardboard in the windows. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could change it at this point. I mean, I feel like people have pointed it out and, and it's kind of become part of the channel a little bit. But uh, I really want to clean this, clean this up down here. My wife has kind of given me permission to to no holds barred. Just, you know, do whatever that I can keep everything down here and she doesn't have to worry about the kids running and getting into things. So wires off the floor you know, making sure that everything is clean and having some new tanks. My goal is to like take the countertop all the way around in like a horseshoe pattern all the way around so that I can just put tanks up there would like some just clownfish breeding tanks would be nice. And, uh, I would love a macro display that's like, you know, 50, 60 gallons, something like that. Uh, you know, I just want to play with, play with some new tanks. There's, there's definitely a change coming. I just don't know when that's going to be. So it's always fun though, to plan stuff with, with reef keeping, you know, when, when I start thinking about a new tank, I, um, I don't know, I start thinking about it probably like a year before it actually happens and I'll, uh, get the tape measure out and it's kind of fun to, to take some measurements and just kind of imagine a tank here or a tank there and, and play around with the possibilities. For me, I know when I start doing that, that a new tank is coming and I just can't, I can't <laughs> help it. It's, it's the, uh, it's going to just overwhelm me that, um, that curiosity in terms of wanting a new tank. So, um, but I don't know, I think I'm kind of maxed out here in, in my, um, basement, the, the electricity bill just keeps getting higher and higher. So, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of manage that sort of stuff, but, uh, it's a lot of fun. So what is what what is your electricity bill? Oh, out of curiosity? Um, well, let me put it this way. When I used to live in Connecticut and I was, um, I had a 225 gallon tank. I had three 400 watt metal halides over that. And I had a, um, and a frag tank with another uh, 400 watt metal halide over that. And that, that was, that, that's like half the stuff I got going on here in, uh, in Vermont. But, uh, you know, it was not uncommon in the summertime and I ran a chiller because of the halides to have like a $900, you know, utility bill. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I just got to look at my latest utility bill here and, uh, you know, it was like 550 and it had been like in the, you know, two, 250 or 300 or something like that before I added my second, um, system. So, um, uh, yeah, 
prices are starting to go up, I guess, in terms of uh, the amount of juice that's coming into my house. Yeah, so this house that we're in now, it's the first house I've ever been in that's all electric. There's no gas at all. So all like the we have two units, one upstairs and one uh, for the down, uh, one main floor and downstairs and one for the upstairs as far as HVAC goes. And we had the upstairs one was 20 years old and it finally crapped out on us last summer. And so we had to get a new one, which is like, not awesome as far as the wallet is concerned, yeah. but our we were in that five to six hundred dollar range for electric bill, and I was like, "Gosh, is this my tanks?" And it turned out to be that this twenty year old air conditioner was just pumping, oh, man. just pumping. And our 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 electric bill went down significantly with this new unit. It's like two hundred dollars cheaper a month. I'm like, oh, "Thank you." <laughs> um, I'm just noticing a couple of comments. Greg Carroll is, is uh, they're, they're still talking about the uh, the paleas and the zoanthids. And, and Greg is saying to this day does not have any zoas or, or paleas. And that's because he got um, poisoned um, a while ago at a frag swap. He didn't know about um, the uh, them being toxic. I have like in my 187 gallon um, display, I've got a bed of zoas, zoanthids, two different types that are just pretty much spread the about half of the bottom of the tank and then all along the rocks. And they're not bothering any of my corals like the SPS. So I have just started to, um, to, to, to frag them. And you guys are starting to really wig me out here in terms of uh, frag. I've, I've never fragged zoanthids before. And now I'm getting quite nervous about the, uh, the fragging. So uh, we're all we're also used to wearing a mask and protective gear. Now you should be good to go. I just, you know, I have my glasses and I think that's good enough, but now I, I think maybe gloves could be, uh, you know, in order. Oh, great bearded reef. Thanks for the super chat. Um, the comment is my understanding was, is that the paleys are more toxic, I guess, versus the, the, uh, the Zoas. At least this was always what was passed along through my club. That's my perception as well. Pale yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, and I feel like it's a, the reef girl, a reef girl said that earlier. It was, it was the, Pretty prolific green. I think they call them green death pallies. They grow fast, and they're just uh, the most most of the time. Those are the ones that you see coming up. Where I'm gonna boil my rock in my kitchen to to you know kill everything. You get those fumes, and it's just not good. Uh, there's a couple other people here that had recommended solar, and I think you and I need yeah. to get with Jim uh, Telegram and have him hook us up with some solar. I was Jim a uh, solar rod. Uh... I know he's got. I know he's got a couple panels uh, hooked up, and uh, they. I think they're dedicated just to his reef system. I don't know oh. if he's watching now, but uh, he said he was going to. Uh, but yeah, I. I really want to pick his brain on that because I feel like having a solar backup or just some help from the sun would be awesome. Yeah, I had. I had. Um... Uh, a, a company come out a couple of years ago to kind of give me an estimate, and we have a good. Um, roof to put panels on because it's south facing and so um but in terms of doing the math and, and saving money on the electricity bill it just didn't make sense at that point in time but yeah i see greg is saying that the solar deals right now are probably the best ever so yeah perhaps it's a good time to um to look back into that stuff um for sure but uh yeah so talk to us about the um the frag tank and you know one of the things that i think I've, I've had issues with over time and I know other folks have had issues with in terms of a frag tank is trying to keep it clean from problematic algae. Now with a frag tank, 
you've got frag racks on the bottom so i've always tried to keep good flow in the frag tank but you know when you've got some frag racks that are pretty um, close to the bottom of the uh, the tank it can be hard to um to get some decent flow through there you're not going to be able to get an mp10 or mp40 underneath the frag rack to, to, to crank one i mean the uh, the gyros are good i've got a gyro under um one of my um you know set of racks in one of my frag tanks so what 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 do you do uh, remy in terms of trying to keep your frag tank algae free man i wish i had an awesome answer for you uh lately over the past like two months i've had my sea hair friend who is just doing a fantastic job at keeping it down um i kind of have to supplement now with uh some algae from the refugium <laughs> to kind of toss in the display tank so he's good to go for a little bit i will eventually take him back to the lfs but yeah it's it's an ongoing struggle and you kind of hit the nail on the head with that algae is just so hard to get when it gets on the frag racks and the egg crate it's just so difficult like i i got to the point where you know once it once it started i would just switch out a rack i would yeah that's I what i do remove them remove the rack put the frags onto a new rack and clean that rack and just kind of cycle through it that way. Um, but yeah, I've never had major issues with algae in any like scaped tank, but for whatever reason, the frag tank has always just been a, has always been an ongoing battle. And I think a lot of it ha honestly has to do with the fact that when I did set this up, my refugium has, I don't know, probably 60 or 70 pounds of live rock from other tanks that I consolidated when we moved from Chicago. On top of that, it has a bunch of like, <laughs> it is like, it's like a junkyard for zoanthids that are like pest zoanthids, like Nirvanas and Pandoras that have grown onto yeah. the rack that I don't have the heart to throw away. Um, and I should probably like just suck it up and do it but there's just like cut up little pieces of rack everywhere in my refugium as well with like random zoas on it so it, it, it gets pretty messy in the refugium and i just i need to have a better cleaning process when it comes to that but i feel like if you've got good biological filtration in the sump of your frag tank then you know the the algae should should be at bay but i think the best process for me is just kind of removing the racks and replacing them and cleaning them that kind of thing so yeah you know a, a power washer is a really good thing to clean a uh, a frag rack i think if you got a um you know you try to brush algae off of a frag rack you're just fighting a losing battle but i've found that um yeah. you know when i need to you know and, and and over time even if i don't have an issue in terms of algae just over time you get stuff building up on those frag racks that um even coralline algae can um you yep. know kind of like make it difficult to to keep um frag plugs in a um in a, in a uh, frag tank so yeah you know and, and what i also what i do is um every week i will pull out the racks when i'm siphoning the tritus out of my tanks so i'll pull the uh, the frag racks out for like five minutes and, and you know with the frags on them and it's not gonna harm the frags because they're used to being out of the water i just make sure the lights are off so I will um, get in there and I will siphon the crap out of uh, the detritus to, to remove it from those uh, frag tanks. And, you know, that, that seems to be pretty effective for me, too, in terms of just trying to keep it detritus free, which can be tough. Yeah. I think the, I think the, the goal or the, uh, the key to keeping any frag tank is to mitigate 
issues when they start. Like, <laughs> it would that be hair algae or you've got a crazy piece of uh, fast-growing whatever, LPS or SPS that's taking over the frag rack, whatever that may be, get to that before it gets too late and you've got, you know, a good base of egg crate on your SPS colony because that's what I've got yeah. right now. <laughs> I've got this amazing piece of, I think it's called Apache Chief. I think it's it, it came from your side of the world, um, just incredible. Okay. Uh, from Credible Coral Labs. Uh, it was actually Jeremy's from the Reap News Network. He, him and I did a trade, a long-distance trade, and this thing is going nuts. And uh, it's just, it loves that rack now. The rack and the frag are one. <laughs> That's a good problem to have. It's never coming off. So, so um, talk more about the uh, the weeping willow. That's that's essentially a, a long tentacled leather coral, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I think the the start of that, and I don't know if I think Jake talked about this with you um, when he was on Jake from Reef Builders, uh, but he really really took I, I took interest in this in this weeping willow whenever he did one of his initial videos on it he showed the picture that they featured in one of the coral magazines and i was like man that thing is just so beautiful and it's a leather so that means it's not difficult to keep which is something for a novice reefer i yeah. was like let's go nowhere like just can't find them anywhere and out of the blue one day one of our local fish stores posted this video and it looked like a torch, looked like a torch coral just blowing in the, in the, in the, uh, current of the tank. And I was like, is that, is that it? Oh my gosh, that's something close. At least I'll take it. Like how much do you want for it? I'll take it. And I got this mother colony for really cheap under a hundred dollars for this thing. And it was, it was big. Um, and so I, I ended up doing a little bit more research on it. I actually contacted Jake and I was like, hey, can I use some video from your video to kind of compare the two together? And I was asking him a bunch of questions and he's like, no, do your research and find <laughs> out if this is actually the same thing or not. And I did a video on it and it it compared out of the five traits that I that I came up with from his video. It compared with four of them. The only one that it didn't compare with was when the flow is turned off, the polyp stalks kind of like fold over the crown of the leather and make that like that weeping willow tree kind of look. Uh, and it just didn't do that. I don't know if it's the length of the polyp stalks. They all seem to compare pretty well. I have no idea if it's like the size of the crown that makes a difference. I don't know. But uh, he he's allowed me to call it a weeping willow for a little bit now, so I'm okay <laughs> with that. But there's just so many out there now. You know, there's so many different kinds, and you see uh, weeping willow, green Japanese green weeping willows. You see, uh, you know, there's just tons of long polyp leathers out there. And I always go back to like at the end of the day, get something that you like. You know what I mean? Get something that's going to add a, you're obviously going for movement. If you're going for a long polyp leather coral, whatever that may be. So just get something that you like. And there's a lot of varieties now that I've been in this for a little bit and hunting for them. There's a lot of varieties of just long polyp that'll give you three to five inch stalks that aren't necessarily the weeping willow, but will still give you that same kind of look. I've got like 
I don't know, probably six or seven different kinds of long polyp toadstools now. And there's some really cool ones. I've got this really like deep, like forest green colored one. And I can't wait to see that thing grow out. It's that's, it's that's, it's a fascinating coral. I'll tell you, the leather coral was like the first LPS coral that caught my eye. I was um, this this guy had a local fish store in in Stanford, Connecticut, and he was an SPS. You know, he was a nut and and just was really good at it. But he had this really cool leather coral in his tank, and I was like, I'm digging that. All right, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get myself a leather and. I don't know if it was that particular first leather coral that I I got, but it just grew big and it just got huge. And my my clownfish yeah. uh, hosted the uh, the leather coral too. And then I remember there were these um these yellow leather bright yellow leather corals. I don't even know if they're still around in the hobby, but those were just striking in in terms of that coloration. And now I guess you, they you, they have like the uh, the the ones that are kind of greenish yellow, almost fluorescent type. Really neat stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I've got uh, like a, it's called a Japanese green weeping willow, but uh, it's like fluorescent. It's like a, it's it's a pale green color with purple tips. Uh, I've got a deep water toadstool. It has pretty small polyps, but it, and it grows so slow. The guy that I bought it from said that he's fragged this coral maybe twice in eight years. Uh, it just grows so slow because a lot of these are, you know, pretty deep in the water and just have a slower uh, reproductivity, you know, rate. And uh, it's just, it, I don't know, they're, they're just cool. They're cool. They're easy to frag. You just take a razor to the crown if you want. And uh, I've got, uh, the, is it Tyree, I think, uh, or an ORA green, just regular toadstool that I first got in the hobby for 15 bucks, I think. Yeah. And that thing, it's a dinner, it's like a dinner plate now. It's still in my frag tank. I haven't touched it. I, it's one of those things where I, I kind of don't want to now, but there's going to come a time when I'm going to have yeah. to because it's just so big. And you take a razor blade to a leather core, right, in terms of fragging it? Is that what you do? Yeah, you can do you can do that or you can do, if you've got really sharp scissors that are clean, you can do that. Uh, the thing about scissors, you just want to make sure that everything is, is sterilized. You want to be using new razors that don't have the oil on them. Um, I always make sure that everything's super clean before I, before I cut cause you're cutting flesh. Do you, um, so what do you, do you dip the corals after you, um, frag them? Yeah, I usually have a, a, a bath and a, a couple drops of, uh, Lugol's, yep. some iodine, yep. which I guess lately I've been reading more and may or may not need, uh, it may actually do more harm than good. I'm not sure. I still do it. Uh, I haven't done enough research on my own, but uh, I usually put a couple drops of Lugals in for a fresh cut um, leathers. So we have a little uh, sidebar going in the chat here about lighting. So maybe we should talk about uh, lighting for a little bit here. Uh, Remy, I, I see uh, Alex is is uh, is um, talking up the metal halides, and I'm certainly a big metal uh, halide fan. And um, but you know, in, in terms of your tanks, I um, I assume that you're using LEDs. Yeah, I've got uh, mainly AI primes, radions, and uh, I actually have over the frag tank extension. I think you can kind of see it here. It's a T5. It actually has a halide in it. Uh, it's a very small metal halide. It's one of these like these uh, combo lights where it's T5, oh, yeah. LED, and metal yeah. halide. 
uh, I never run the metal halide. I just run the T5s on that. But I do have some T5s. And again, would like to get more of a uniform kind of ecosystem in here. Uh, the one, I have many gripes, but uh, one of the gripes that I have about my system is that it's just so piecemeal. You know what I mean? There's just brands here, brands there, cords here, cords there. So I'd like to get some sort of uh, uh, cohesiveness when it comes to uh, look on on all the lighting and stuff like that. But I know nothing about metal highlights, so this is all you guys. <laughs> yeah, I... Um... Great Bearded Reef is uh, is um, touting T5s, which I've, I've, I use, you know, as supplemental lighting with uh, metal halides. And I've seen some pretty sick tanks lit by just T5s only. So, yeah, that's always made me wonder in terms of whether or not to go with T5s. But the thing I, I, I don't like about T5s is the bulb replacement. And, and um, but, you know, with the halides that I have, I got to, like, um, you know, fork over uh, 80 bucks per bulb every, um, probably doing it every year now. Back in the day, when when you ran metal halides on a um, on a uh, HQI ballast, it would overdrive the bulbs, and so that would shorten the life of the uh, bulbs. So now there's um, these uh, these new, uh, I guess the newer ballasts are are these uh, switchable ballasts, and I don't think they're really a true HQI ballast that would overdrive the uh the light bulbs and i like to use these uh 20k radium and i'm going really old school here in terms of this uh conversation but uh i i always found that uh using a 20k radium bulb overdriven was uh just a awesome look it was like a crisp white look over the tank and and uh that's what i'm doing right now with my tank uh, the 187 gallon tank and the frag system that's tapped into that but i am going with leds for the uh, for the new tank so it's a whole new ball game for me and a whole new uh, learning curve that um yeah i'm excited about so we'll uh we'll see yeah i think uh the the white light look is kind of a refreshing look nowadays i've got a buddy and i i'm not sure if he's watching now inland underscore reef uh tyler he's got an amazing macro tank that's actually lit by and he's got a bunch of coral in it too but it's lit by freshwater leds so it's a it's a very white light tank and it's just kind of cool to see all the natural colors of things not that not that fluorescing corals aren't natural to some degree but it's it's really kind of a cool wave and i'm excited to see more tanks like that in the future uh for sure so you're um you're pretty much keeping um, LPS and I guess some some softies in your tanks. Are you um having plans to step it up a little bit to SPS at some point down the road? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got uh, several acros right okay. now. Um, nothing in in bulk. I have like a home wrecker frag. I have a couple Walt Disney frags. Oh, okay, so you're and... uh, you're into it. Yeah, but my they're green. <laughs> you see all these like orange and purple and yellow Disney's yeah, Photoshop, and you know, I've, no, I mean that's I, I've I've tried <laughs> I've tried to you know juice up the primes as much as they'll go, but uh, it's still not really popping. But uh, recently got into I'm just kind of looking over at the tank here. Um, anemones. My buddy Ben has been hoarding anemones for the last like couple months now he he's got a little thing going ben's nems uh and so i've got a chicago sunburst in my tank now and a um a black widow and so i'm kind of like 
I've never I've never kept an, uh, a bubble tip anemone in my tanks before, and it's they're fun. Like I have them in baskets, so yeah. like I'm not afraid yeah. of them like venturing yeah. out. But like just watching them accept the chunks of food that I mm. feed them is just like the coolest yeah. thing. I, I don't know why I love feeding them uh, a refrenzy from LRS uh, the the chunky stuff. They really really love that i think it's really cool got a mix of things i think if i'm light on anything yeah it's probably it's probably sps but um the the acros and millies that i do have are doing okay i'm sure that if i were to focus on those more that's a, another thing that i've learned over the years is just like like if you try to keep zoas and sps and leathers and all those in the same tank they're not necessarily going to thrive as much as they would if you were to just have an SPS tank yeah. or just a Zoa tank because the parameters that they like are a little bit different. So, yeah, you know, with with SPS they like a lot of flow, and some of the LPS, a lot of a lot of the softies are just not going to be able to handle that sort of thing. And and uh, yeah, it's it's um, it can be a tough kind of balancing act. What um, tell us some more about your uh, your systems there, Remy, in terms of what you typically use terms of calcium and alkalinity supplementation you know to maintain your um, parameters there what uh, what do you what are you using at this point yeah pretty basic stuff um, I use the Fritz line of um, sorry alkalinity um, calcium and magnesium and I've got just a, a Wi-Fi doser on the frag tank on the lagoon not a whole lot of uh, not a whole lot of consumption when it comes to elements uh, i i when i do a water change on that every other week or so i'll do it's a 25 gallon tank and with rock i'll do a 15 gallon water change on that and really replace a lot of that water so but i do have a, a um, i dose all for reef on that one and it's like 0.2 milliliters a day or something mm. very very small uh, just to kind of keep it stable um yeah, but as as far as that goes, it's really just it's it's pretty basic stuff. I'm 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 not I'm not doing trace elements, and I'm not doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff with dosing yet. I I can see that in the future for sure. But uh, it's a pretty basic setup. I I actually my sump on the frag tank was built for Triton, the Triton method. Oh yeah. So the refugium is pretty huge. Um, I'm not running the Triton method, but there, I think that refugium has has really kind of been a blessing and a curse because it's it can trap a lot of the stuff but at the same time gives me a lot more room for biological filtration so yeah that's essentially what you're using for uh, nutrient export what um what are your like parameters at in terms of nitrates and phosphates what what do you like to i them at? yeah so you know in the beginning of the hobby i was like you want zero and zero right you don't want anything hmm. you just you know, ultra low nutrient systems that's that's what's in that's what you're doing right now so uh, I have transitioned to, I like to keep phosphates between 0.02 and 0.06 ish. And I like to keep my nitrates between five and 10 PPM. I think having some in there is good, but once you start to get over in that 15 to 20 range and it's just a slippery slope, once you get that deep into it, um, I don't test nitrates a whole lot. Usually, uh, when I'm seeing some things go wrong in the tank, I'll, I'll start testing, uh, nitrates and phosphates. Phosphates are a little sneakier, but I think that they're, uh, they're easier to control. Um, I don't know if you've ever used lanthanum chloride or any of those. It's just, 
a couple drops of that will will go a long way. Um, so I've, I've used that before, but I haven't really had any issues as far as elk swings or calcium swings or any of that goes lately. And now that I'm saying that, I'm just going to go ahead and <laughs> knock on one here because... Don't listen to me, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, Alex is asking you, um, do you add any amino acids or trace uh, elements? I don't think you, uh, you, I think you answered the trace element question, but have you ever used um, aminos to feed the corals? Yeah, I use, uh, I'll, I'll usually do um, a, a dose of the Brightwell aminos a week. I don't really go heavy on that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have found a little bit of benefit in that. Look, corals look good whenever I'm dosing aminos. So yeah, I do that every once in a while. Do you, um, dig into into like ICP testing if you have any issues with the tank or do you kind of like, um, you know, rely on basic, uh, test kits? I've done one ICP test and it had me going nuts. Just like, like, do I need more bromium yeah. in my tank do i have yeah. strontium on my tank do i need like how do i and it, it, it's so because i don't and correct me if i'm wrong you may know more about this but i don't know if icp testing was built for the reefing hobbyist so you get this readout at the end of it and you're like looking at all these numbers and wondering what you should adjust but do you really need to adjust any of these things i think when i did it i was doing it for a video which never actually got out there because I don't know. It just, it was really boring. Uh, <laughs> I was really just, I was trying to kind of calibrate what my like Hannah checkers were saying and what my testing at home was saying and what a professional, you know, company was saying or, you know, a readout of whatever testing they do there. So I've done it once, but I really think if you want to, if you want to seek out a decent representation of what your tank is doing, I really feel like you got to do it at least once a month. And that's pricey. But if you really want to get some good data, I feel like you need to do it way more often than like once or twice a year, because that one time you could have mismeasured, you could have put more in than than you needed to. You, like there's just so many variables that can go on. And the fact that you have to send it to Germany, at least with my kit, I it, it was ATI, it went to Germany. I know that there's North American companies now that do that, yeah. but how how much can change in that water sample in the two weeks that it's gone. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of like things in there that I'm not 100% sure on. So, yeah, I, you know, I don't do a lot of uh, ICP testing, maybe like four tests a year. And I think I always like to, um, to do a test when everything is going really well and my tank is looking good because then that, that's kind of like a baseline for me. So, so, uh, you know, all the data is, uh, essentially, you know, and, and uh, you know, if there are certain things that are out of whack and need to be tweaked, I'm not a tweaker. I don't like to tweak. I just use the ICP testing for, for things that might uh, be big red flags. So I don't like to tinker a lot in that regard. But, yeah, I'll um, I'll do a test when things are great, and then I'll do a test when things are not so great. And hopefully I can kind of see something between those two um, tests and, and, you know, maybe a light bulb goes off to, yeah. uh, to help address it. Um, all right. So, uh, Brock B is talking about, um, the reef, uh, moonshiner in terms of, I guess the, um, coral feeding and, um, yeah, Andre's work, top notch stuff and getting better in terms of the proper doses. Uh, Alex is commenting about the ICP testing, 
the um, the main problem is that the chemistry can change in that vial by the time it reaches the machine. Yeah, I don't I don't have any experience with that, but uh, maybe Alex has uh, had some um, experience with that. Um, so. Remy, another thing I noticed with your tank in terms of the frag tank is that, uh, and, and this is common with frag tanks, is that they're bare bottom, right? But your uh, lagoon has got sand in it. What's what's the difference in terms of keeping those uh, two types of system, one with sand and one without sand? What do you like and dislike about bare bottom and, and dislike or like about the sand? Uh, yeah, I think uh, initially sand looks awesome. Uh, I like the look of sand in a reef tank. It's pref I prefer it from a visual standpoint. Um, I've kind of adopted, and I'm not sure where I picked this up, but I, I adopted a method of vacuuming half of the sand, one water change, and then the other half for the next water change. So I don't do the entire sand bed. I have a really... Uh, shallow sand bed so I don't necessarily see a huge issue with like you know things getting caught inside bacteria all that kind of stuff like if it was a deeper sand bed probably wouldn't want to disturb it as much but it's literally probably I don't know maybe a quarter of an inch yeah. I just have it there to kind of cover up the glass on the bottom as far as having the bare bottom uh, for the frag tank Coraline just will take over eventually and and uh, we'll cover it anyway. So, and it's a frag tank, so it is bound to be neglected at some point, and you are bound to not keep up with that. So, uh, it, it makes it super easy to clean as yeah. far as like getting all the loose fragments off of the bottom, all the detritus off the bottom. That's what I like most about the bare bottom. And then I've got all the rock and the refugium, so it's still getting that biological filtration as well. Um, don't have to have a lot of rock in the actual display, which is nice. You battled. Uh Dinos was that in the uh, lagoon tank or was yes? That, yeah. How did how did you um end up uh, beating the dinos? So I didn't do I I really didn't want to do a blackout. I don't know why that like worries me so much, but I didn't want to do a blackout. I just feel like three days or four days of black tank is unnatural in so many ways. And I know fish don't need light or whatever, but I anthropomorphize uh you know animals, and I blame Disney for that. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to turn out the lights on my on my fish and my coral. So I tried to get around it in other ways. Uh, one method I used was actually uh, getting a UV filter. Uh, that took a little bit of time. The other one was uh, doing doing water changes, but but siphoning into a sock and reusing that water again, if that makes sense. So I wasn't actually yep. doing a fresh water change. I didn't want to give it. Uh, less nutrients, if that makes sense. Uh, so that was a method. Uh, Innovative Marine makes a drop-in UV filter. I don't know how effective it is really being at, I think it's like 9 watts or something like that, but it's made for that tank. So I was like, why not give it a try? Yeah. And after I added that UV filter, it was, it was uh, just a matter of time. I also tried the method of turning up the tank temperature to 82.6 or something. And there was a video. It, it was, I, I didn't see any negative effects on the coral or the fish. Uh, and I don't know. It, I, I think that this is what happens a lot of times with dinos is you start trying four or five different things. And whatever combination of those that works for you is kind of what you settle on. 
So those are the things that I tried. I don't know if they all worked in conjunction with each other or how that all happened, but I kept the UV filter and it's still running and the tank looks fine. So I think, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing to have on the tank. I kind of like one on the frag tank, but, uh, I think everything's going to change here in a little bit. So, so, you know, it's, um, it's tough in terms of, you know, the dinos or the problematic algae in terms of trying to keep that stuff out of the tank. Bryopsis. I mean, when I had the conversation with Julian Sprung, he's like, every tank has bryopsis. And, um, you know, I've heard every tank has dinos. So it, it just seems like, you know, when the conditions are right, that problematic algae will be popping up and kind of show itself. But, you know, the other thing in terms of this hobby is trying to prevent pests, you know, hitchhikers that are coming in from corals and, and what have you. So you, I'm, I'm assuming you bring in, you know, a good amount of corals because you, um, you go to frag swaps or, or perhaps you don't bring in a ton of corals and you just grow stuff out yourself and frag it. But what do you do in terms of trying to prevent pests coming in on corals? What, what What's your routine there? I think the best thing to do with any kind of pest is just having your utility fish or cleanup crew that are going to do the job for you to an extent. And sometimes that'll get out of hand. I remember the first time I had flatworms, I didn't have a ras in the tank and it got pretty crazy. And I think the combination of manual removal with uh, airline tubing and getting a six line ras for me, I never saw them again, you know, like you said, a lot of tanks are going to have those pests, but can you just mitigate it so they don't become a big nuisance? And you're also helping out the fish who's feeding on the pests, who's, you know, whatever that may be, a, a damsel feeding on flatworms or wrasse. And as far as like Aptasia and stuff go, it used to like really freak me out when I would see an Aptasia. I remember buying a piece of live rock from the local fish store when I first got started. And uh, just to jumpstart the, the tank a little bit on the cycle. And I saw an Aptasia on, on that, uh, on that live rock. And I was like, this local fish store sold me <laughs> an Aptasia <laughs> on a rock. And I was so upset about it. And then I realized like years later that like a spore could be on your yeah. frag plug and it would, it would, uh, yeah. it would develop into an Aptasia or whatever. So my way to mitigate those is I have uh, a good peppermint shrimp cleanup crew yeah. in the display in the refugium so that I can control the population down there too. And just having, having those utility players in all of your tanks, I think are, is, is, is key. And for, and for, uh, for algae, you know, having a good, a good tank crew or a lawnmower blenny or, you know, something like that, that picks on that stuff all day. It's going to help you. The sea hare has been a workhorse. Like it's just, I've never seen, anything destroy algae like a sea hare and he, he's just been great so i think employing some of those those natural feeders of those pests is, is always a good thing i know that flatworm exit was an option at one point and i just didn't want to do it I, I not that i don't like putting chemicals in i don't think anybody really likes to put chemicals in their tank to mitigate anything but the more natural approach is kind of how I always choose to look first to see if there's a way and then maybe go that way if it's if it gets too bad. Yeah, listen, I think natural means is always the best uh, option versus using something like chemicals in, in a tank. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, great luck with the uh, with turbo snails in terms of some algae control. Some, there's some algae that they're not going to touch. But yeah, you're right in terms of tanks. I um, always like to have a good 
um, you know, group of tangs in my tanks before um, I even have a problem. Just because if, if you don't have the tangs in there and you start developing algae issues, then they're probably not going to touch the longer, um, you know, stringy type of algae. They're, they're more of like grazers. So they're, they're definitely good workhorses in terms of having, you know, in a tank to um, prevent, you know, that stuff from getting out of control for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess we're getting kind of close to uh, to the end here, folks. But um, any any other questions uh, for Remy, put them in the chat. I see some stuff about um, Rock B using, uh, seriously considering the using the live rock. Yeah, I uh, I am digging the live rock I got from KP Aquatics. I think it uh, it's great stuff. But you know, it's the the downside is that it's a lot easier for hitchhikers to come on in with the uh, with the live rock versus the dry rock. But I've started, you know, my one attempt with a dry rock tank. I got Aptasia in that tank. You know, I started 100% dry rock, and the Aptasia came in on a um, coral somehow. So. It's, uh, you know, the odds are certainly going to be less if you're using dry rock versus uh, versus live rock. But, yeah, I would have to say the biodiversity in the live rock that I got for the new tank was just incredible. And it did have a lot of, um, you know, critters on it, <clears throat> some good and not some not so good. But if you do a um, if you dip the rock a few times in a high specific gravity uh, solution of salt water, <clears throat> that will flush a lot of the uh, undesirables out and i even had a, a mantis shrimp that that popped out which a little scary to me i, I did not want to get close to that freaking mantis shrimp <laughs> i didn't kill it i didn't kill it i i kind of gathered up all the uh the uh, the red-eyed crabs and the mantis shrimp that came out that flushed out and i took them to my uh, local fish store i was like here here's a present for you put, put it in a <laughs> tank without any corals <laughs> yeah, the KP Aquatics stuff is is interesting. We had a we uh, Tyler, my buddy, and uh, Tiger Boy H two O on Instagram did a podcast on the Reef News Network and talked all about macro algae and the KP Aquatics rock that they mariculture there is like it's the coolest thing. And like you said, that you can get some bad hitchhikers on there, but the biodiversity on that it's almost like you're it's almost like you're adding uh, you're adding an ecosystem just with that rock on a new tank and from a macro algae perspective you can really get some cool unique macros that will hitchhike as well yeah. and if you desire that if you're looking if you've got a display macro algae tank then that's a cool thing but if you're you know wanting coral mainly <laughs> it could be it could be kind of a, a nuisance down the road for sure but uh, i like the idea and i haven't tried that yet i would imagine that you know i would i would suggest that if you're a more experienced reefer and have seen flatworms you've seen you know, the, the crabs, the undesirable crabs and those kinds of things that you know how to deal with go that route. But if you're kind of new, maybe stick to the dry rock and, and go that way as well. Any fuzzy crab that has red eyes is a bad crab. <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. The, the ones with the fuzzy legs and the red eyes, get rid of them. Don't kill them. <laughs> just give them a new home and, and what have you. <laughs> I see a question here from um, Augustin Ramirez. What can help me with my diatoms? Any uh, experience running with diatoms? I feel like those just go away, right? You know, um, over time, that's a new tank that's thing. That's more of a new tank thing. I think um, diatoms also will uh, pop up if you have a lot of silicates in your system. So, you know, I think my experience is if you use the RODI water, then um, you know that should 
potentially solve that problem. So if, if you are not using RODI water, Augustine, then I would, I would suggest doing that. But <clears throat> if you don't have a lot of corals in the tank right now, then, then a um, three-day blackout could kind of nip it in the bud if, um, if you want to try that. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Remy, in terms of doing blackouts. I don't like to do it with corals. It scares the crap out of me. Especially SPS. I feel like you you can unwrap that present and not like all that bleached coral. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I've just seen I've seen that happen in people's tanks around here. So I know that that's that's a thing sometimes. So RTN sets in. Yeah, for sure. So, dude, any uh, anything else you want to do uh, to chat about what what what's uh, what's in the future in terms of the uh, the new the potential tanks? Or tank, maybe I don't want to say tanks. Is it one one <laughs> big tank you're thinking about? It'll definitely be tanks. I I really would like uh, a couple forty, fifty, sixty, somewhere in that range. But I really want a proper one hundred fifty, two hundred gallon nice. display. Nice. I'm just kind of I'm kind of on I'm 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 on the fence because I'm not sure what dimensions I want to go with it yet. Uh, I love your the dimensions on your new tank. I think that that's a good way to go. Um, I really would like to do a lagoon style, but I'm just, I'm just not sure yet. I want to get with like a tank manufacturer and see if they've got any crazy ideas or something like that. But I really want to make this space down here more visually appealing, uh, cleaner. I don't know. I get like a Scandinavian look in my head, like the, like Ikea, but better quality kind of thing. Uh, -huh. uh <laughs> and just a cleaner look and, and, uh, wrangle these cords and everything. Uh, I feel like this is the this is the prod product of a rushed job in a lot of uh, a lot of ways. So, and it'll be fun to take everybody through that too. Yeah. You know the the meta metamorphosis of what what this could become or will become. So yeah, cool. Uh, but that's that's in the that's in the future for sure. Cool. Well, you know, listen, I'm going to be uh, certainly following along your uh, your journey, and and uh, yeah, it's always fun to kind of like plan stuff and and um, do a new tank build and I'll be uh, keeping my eyes open. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on uh, everybody who showed up to watch. I appreciate your time as well. I know that, you know, it's a, what is it? Thursday night, tomorrow's Friday. So that's awesome. But Thursday night, you, you may have better things to do. You may not, I don't know, but uh, thank you so much for, for showing up and and thank you keith for having me on this was a lot of fun yeah remy for sure man definitely would uh, love to have you back and and yeah everybody thanks for uh for tuning in so that's gonna do it for the show tonight i just uh definitely want to give my sincere thanks to remy for uh, taking the time to be the guest on the live stream tonight my next live stream will not be next thursday it's going to be next tuesday night at 7 p.m and that's because my guest uh thursdays are not good for my next guest who is uh, Chris Meckley from ACI Aquaculture. And looking forward to having Chris on the show next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So it should be another great show. Anyway, until then, uh, everybody be safe, be well, and we will see you next time. Adios.